Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Connect podcast, where we give doctors, patients, and anyone interested in healthcare and technology a look at how our solutions are changing medicine. I'm your host, Binti Singh, Director of Marketing here at Curve Beam. This episode, I'm chatting with Dr. Jarrett Kane, DPM, FACFAS, Associate Professor at Penn State College of Medicine. Dr. Kane is a member of the International Weight-Bearing CT Society and is involved in basic science, transitional, and clinical research by using state-of-the-art technology to help understand biomechanics and improve outcomes of the foot and ankle. His research has examined hallux valgus, flat foot, and diabetic bone healing. Uh, he also serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Foot and Ankle Surgery. Welcome, Dr. Kane. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. So let's start by talking about diabetic foot. So can you give the listeners an idea of what are some of the elements of limb salvage today? And what are some areas that in the discipline that we don't fully understand? So when dealing with the diabetic foot, it's a very prevalent condition that medical specialists commonly uh, deal with. We're seeing interesting numbers in terms of its impact on society, and especially its impact on different groups and different patient, uh, patient dynamics. One of the common things that we see is patients typically uh, present with you know, neuropathy, and then that, that can also lead to an ulceration of the foot, which can lead to uh, non-traumatic amputation. And that is, non-traumatic amputation is about 80% of the time is preceded by an ulceration. Mm -hmm. So what the whole purpose of limb salvage, uh, which is uh, our approach to treating this particular condition is how can we stop the cascade of problems that takes place for the diabetic patient? Mm -hmm. So it's as with any disease or any condition that, uh, existing, we want to further understand its evolution. There's an evolution in treatment, things that we understood that we did uh, maybe 10 years ago, we have evolved in our understanding with greater knowledge, with greater research. So that's our whole goal. The goal doesn't change. The evolution in the treatment to understand how to treat it uh, changes, but uh, not the overall goal in terms of uh, preserving the limb uh, functional, preserving a functional limb with a diabetic patient. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we want to accomplish. So how much time does a patient typically have once an ulcer forms on the bottom of the foot before an intervention could prevent an amputation? What's that window of time when they could still be, the limb could be salvaged? Well, that, that's a, you know, that varies from patient to patient. You know, mm -hmm. some certain patients have different factors uh, that may cause them to create an ulceration faster than other patients. We all take into account uh, different demographics. Uh, we take into account uh, BMI. We also take into account uh, how well they are managing their diabetes. Uh, more specifically, when dealing with the foot and ankle, uh, the biomechanics of the foot, as well as some of the other uh, 
factors in terms of peripheral arterial disease, uh, peripheral neuropathy. Uh, you combine that with the biomechanics of the foot, it can accelerate the development of an ulceration depending mm -hmm. on how poorly those are managed. If they're managed uh, great, you can decelerate it and uh, hopefully prevent it from happening mm -hmm. with, of course, uh, proper care on all different spectrums. But if it's not poorly managed, along with some of the aforementioned things that I mentioned earlier, then you will see that take place in a, uh, in a, in a, in a faster rate. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, this is so, you know, the, you're seeing this rapid rise uh, because of the management and the role that we as specialists play in managing it can uh, make a huge difference. What is the standard of care today for assessing the biomechanical component? Well, typically, uh, biomechanical component in a uh, an office setting typically involves uh, two-dimensional two x-rays along with a clinical assessment of uh, the foot in terms of a, you know, an exam to determine range of motion as well as, you know, the particular foot type of, along with the x-rays. With that being said, uh, I have been fortunate to be in a uh, university hospital setting, which allows me other different modalities from a, from a research standpoint mm -hmm. that I can evaluate and further examine how the biomechanics is affecting their their development of an ulceration and even Charcot disease, which is commonly seen in diabetics, is mm -hmm. affecting their biomechanics as well and come up with different modalities to help uh, pre preserve the limb and prevent any ulceration or leading to an amputation. What are some of those modalities? So those modalities, uh, again, I'm in the university hospital setting. I'm able to use pedobarographic data. Mm -hmm. And along with that, I have been uh, utilizing weight-bearing CT and combining those uh, two modalities together to help come up with a more broader treatment regimen and hopefully uh, be, be able to assess uh, things that could be not be seen on a two-dimensional x-ray mm -hmm. and uh, help to provide uh, further their treatment. So that's where the technology of weight-bearing CT has been beneficial for me, uh, along with the pedobarographic data, and uh, that's uh, where I've been able to utilize that for the diabetic patients and helping them improve. And at this moment, it's strictly within the research context, correct, that you're using those two modalities? Well, not so much in the research context, not only in the research context, but also in the clinical okay. context. Uh, depending on the, you know, if I have a patient with a chronic ulceration uh, who doesn't have any underlying infection, but I want to further investigate uh, ways that we can prevent uh, any further breakdown, uh, once we get the ulceration completely healed, I will utilize uh, pedobarographic data along with weight-bearing CT, combine those two elements together to show where they are at greater risk for developing an ulceration mm -hmm. uh, and where also we can play a role to help prevent that, uh, help decrease that risk from taking place. Okay. So I've been able to, you know, increase the utilization in a clinical setting, which I'm very fortunate to do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm understanding correctly, if a patient has already had one ulcer, you will use those two modalities to help prevent another one. 
Yes, I will. Or I can also, even if they don't, and I feel like they are at high risk, mm -hmm. uh, all diabetic patients carry a risk. But if I feel that certain patients are at high risk, I will do, I will use those modalities in an effort to help prevent any skin breakdown. Okay. Uh, what about insurance reimbursement coverage for those two tests? Uh, are there any considerations there? Uh, it's really for the uh, weight bearing CT. It is, you know, insurances does have uh, does go through the channels and uh, challenges with that. So not so much with pedal barographic data. I, it is it can be uh, billable in office, mm -hmm. but I'm I you know try to hold that you know hold that back and just kind of do it as kind of an adjunct of treatment mm -hmm. uh, in combination with the uh, CT because of the challenges and having to deal with uh, weight-bearing CT and sometimes getting it approved from the insurance company. Okay. Have you found workarounds in terms of specific uh, language or codes you can use in the pre-authorization process to get that covered? I think if I, a lot of times if I'm, you know, of course, if patients are unable to, uh, if I'm at difficulty having patients get an MRI due to uh, previous metal in the body, uh, and I can get greater specificity. That is, a, I'm able to kind of get around those loopholes as well. <laughs> Most of the times, it does require a peer-to-peer -peer review, which <laughs> I, uh, from there, usually get it approved and uh, been able to move forward. So, uh, with the peer-to-peer -peer review, you have a greater uh, talking to the person, get a greater explanation and understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, and usually it will get approved. <laughs> Great. Um, that's always very helpful for, for others who may have access to the modality and, and need some pointers. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you do have a research study underway to examine diabetic feet with both weight-bearing CT and uh, pedobarographic measurements combined. Could you talk a little bit about the study design? Sure. The study, the impetus for the study design came uh, from a weight-bearing CT meeting that I attended so probably 2017, mm -hmm. and uh, with one of the uh, engineers out of Italy, uh, Dr. Alberto Liardini. And from there, we the purpose of the study would be to evaluate the bone morphology with the diabetic patients with the weight-bearing CT and combine that with demographic as well as the kinematic uh, data that we obtain from the pedobarograph. So basically... What that would entail was the patients would undergo a weight-bearing CT. We would get static data with uh, static data would be obtained with a uh, uh, with a uh, plantar pressure measurement. Mm -hmm. Then we would combine that with uh, their kinematic data with a force plate measurement, and from there we would take all of that, combine that data together, and what our goal is to is to do is once we get the 3D model, we create a 3D model from the weight bearing CT, mm -hmm. combine that with the kinematic data, and we what we want to show is how weight bearing CT can increase the characterization of the alignment and the bone morphology in patients who are at risk for ulceration and or charcoal deformity. Mm -hmm. But also we want to show that the combining weight-bearing CT with pedobarographic data, gait measurements, we have a greater sensitivity and reliability for determining 
the biomechanical assessments for the patients, you know, for diabetic patients. Mm-hmm. And it's combining new technology uh, to help preserve the limb. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, with any uh, surgical uh, aspect, especially amputation, there's a psychological barrier that sometimes patients, you know, uh, have difficulty getting over. Mm-hmm. So we want to try to lower the rates of amputation. We want to try to preserve a functional limb as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And with these two uh, modalities, uh, particularly weight-bearing CT, we're uh, hopefully be able to do that. Great. Do you have any emerging findings at this point? Are there any trends that you're starting to see at this point in the study? Well, uh, again, this uh, we have again, the impetus for it came from uh, Dr. Liadini out of Italy. He will be publishing his work, mm-hmm. uh, and I have been uh, talking with him and collaborating, and he's seeing some interesting findings. Mm-hmm. Uh, for myself, we're still in the preliminary stages to where we're uh, kind of collecting the data but he was able to find that uh, measurements of the uh, archi- you know, of the foot bone architecture uh, could be performed in 3D, and, they, and he was able to provide fundamental insight of the assessments of complication with the dynamic planner loading. Mm-hmm. So he saw preliminary data of what I was uh, previously mentioned in terms mm-hmm. of the prevention and treatment of ulcer, as well as designing more effective orthotic and helping with surgical intervention. And again, his uh, preliminary work should be coming out uh, relatively soon. Uh, we're still in the process of collecting data. We had a couple of challenges with uh, getting patients with the uh, combination of both uh, pedobarographic data, but we have been able to kind of move in a positive direction. Okay, great. Um, and uh... I was able to sit in on a presentation that you gave at the recent Weight-Bearing CT Society virtual conference, and one of your slides, the images showed, it looks like the device that you're using to measure kinematic load, they actually wear that device while they're also getting their CT scan? Yes, that is correct. So basically what we do, we we put the device while they are sitting. Mm -hmm. Then we get the data that particular way. Then we do it while they're standing. And then we're going to do it while they're also walking as well. Mm-hmm. So that way we kind of get a more comprehensive look of their, you know, to combine with the 3D model that we will uh, correlate with from the weight-bearing CT. So, you know, it's kind of leveraging all of the different modalities that we have here to help improve for the patients with this condition. Okay. So, so the reason that they wear the device, the pedobarographic measurement device during the scan is so that the standing measurement can be captured during the scan, basically reducing the total amount of time that the subject is undergoing load measurements. Yes. Uh, Yes. So basically, you know, we were doing it standing to kind of correlate non-weight bearing with weight bearing, Mm -hmm. as well as with dynamic. So Mm -hmm. static, non-weight bearing, static weight bearing, and then dynamic uh, loading of the foot Mm -hmm. during gait. So yeah, and we're, you know, I'm very excited about it. Uh, It was funded by a grant through the uh, Penn State uh, Clinical uh, Orthopedic and Research Translational uh, Society here. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very excited about Mm -hmm. it. Do you think there might be a point in the future where Every weight-bearing CT system will have a custom pressure force mat on the platform and a 
pressure analysis reading would be provided with every weight-bearing CT scan, and, and there might be algorithms in place to automatically correlate those two and, and give surgeons uh, the information that they need. That is excellent. And I, <laughs> that is, wow, that is very excellent. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, to be able to combine, you get the best of both worlds, one-stop shopping. Um, and excuse my vernacular, but that's exactly how I see it. <laughs> so I think that is a, a very uh, excellent idea to be able to, in that way, the data that you get from it, you're able to get it in one comprehensive, as opposed to, you know, what we're doing is great, but we're kind of, you know, putting pieces together mm -hmm. and you have, you know, there's room for error mm -hmm. uh, in between. However, with one uh, modality, we're able to kind of get all the information that we need. So uh, I would love to see something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, mm -hmm. At the acute at the acute view. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, Dr. Richter did do a study, um, I, I wanna say it was around 2013, 2014, in which he, he did modify a pedcat uh and, and put a pedography sensor uh at the platform mm -hmm. and was getting those those double uh double uh scans. And that, that hasn't quite been commercialized yet since then, but you know, I, I, I would say stay tuned because that might be happening at some point in the future. Yeah, Dr. Richter's study, we, you know, when, when planning for our study, we uh, referenced that, that study that he did in 2013. It was published in Foot and Ankle Surgery, mm -hmm. and we kind of build on that, mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of the work that he did. So that, that was, there's some engineers out there that would like to make that happen. Uh, I will definitely give my contact information. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. Um, you know, I, I think there's so many innovations coming down the, the line, and, and um, it will be exciting to see if, if that one materializes as well as others. Yeah, I definitely would love to see that, and I definitely think there is a place for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course, working out the kinks and the, uh, getting it to fruition will take time, mm -hmm. but I definitely think there is a, a need, and uh, I would love to see that take place. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we'll definitely be looking out uh, for that paper by Dr. Liardini uh, to, to see in detail exactly what uh, your study uncovered. But switching gears a little bit, you've also conducted research recently relating to patient-specific instrumentation specifically examining the contralateral side. So can you explain when it comes to PSI, why do we need to look at the contralateral side? Well, this is this is one of the more, you know, we're paying attention to more custom 3D printed modeling involved in the foot and ankle surgery. So a lot of times with either severe arthritis or tra tra trauma, a uh, surgical procedure will require a restoration of the morphology of the bone. So there are variations between the tarsal bones uh, in individuals with uh, different, with uh, severe arthritis and uh, trauma. So what we wanted to do, and this study was done out of Drexel with uh, Dr. Soren Siegler. So basically what we wanted to do was to evaluate the left to right symmetry characteristics of the tarsal bones with weight bearing CT to effectively and reliably use 3D morphology mm -hmm. of the contralateral foot to help with patient specific instrumentation. And we presented this in 2019. And so what we were able to find is that morph morphometric analysis 
based on the waist-bearing CT, showed a high level of bilateral symmetry, uh, indicating that we were able to restore the tarsal bones based on the contralateral foot. And from there, we can utilize, we can leverage weight-bearing CT to come up with custom 3D printed, whether it's the total tailor or custom 3D printed uh, instrumentation mm -hmm. that we can further use for the patient that is specifically designed for the patient. This is something that is kind of gaining momentum. We're seeing different companies use 3D printing uh, and, and how successful they've been. There's been a lot of uh, published data. But with weight-bearing CT, we're able to establish a level of confidence that this approach can be continued and implemented. And uh, that's what our study showed. Well, it's definitely helpful to have it validated that there is a blueprint specific to that patient just on their contralateral side. So validating that protocol, which is pretty commonly used, is definitely good data to have. Yes, yes. And even like there, there have been other studies, one more recently at our University of Pittsburgh, kind of very similar to uh, what, we pub what we published and presented that confirmed what we, some of our findings. So uh, this again is where we can utilize weight-bearing CT uh, and how it in the future with patient-specific instrumentation will be very valuable for the patient. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then lastly, uh, you've conducted research looking into the hallux valgus deformity. I know that's kind of a, a hot topic in weight-bearing CT research right now, and we're learning more and more every day about hallux valgus deformities uh, via weight-bearing CT imaging. Can you describe your specific research effort in this area? Well, with weight-bearing CT, with hallux valgus, uh, we understand that it is a complex deformity. We're looking at assessing the deformity with in three dimensions, but we have been utilizing two-dimensional modalities to help assess a three-dimensional problem. Mm -hmm. As we're seeing now, there's greater uh, understanding, greater emphasis on the deformity in the coronal plane out of the three planes. Mm -hmm. However, with weight-bearing CT, we want, we, uh, our, the hypothesis of our study was to show that it will provide greater accuracy of the first metatarsal pre and postoperatively, mm -hmm. and we would see where we would see the greater, you know, the greatest correction mm -hmm. would be seen. So what we did was we took uh, ten cadaveric specimens. Uh, we uh, got preoperative weight bearing CTs. We created a three D model from those weight bearing CTs. Mm -hmm. We uh, went. They underwent mid shaft osteotomies. We did postoperative weight bearing CTs, and we did uh, 3D models from there. Now, the material uh, based on the uh, 3D models, what we did, we did segmentation of the of the first metatarsal, second metatarsal, and the fifth metatarsal, mm -hmm. and we also utilized the uh, foot and ankle offset mm -hmm. to determine the uh, the changes that were being made, and we combined that with the changes that we saw on two-dimensional x-rays. So, and we also used uh, distance mapping, which is a technique that has been uh, published by Dr. Siegler as well. Mm -hmm. What we wanted to see was the relationship of the first metatarsal to the first tarsal metatarsal joint. Mm -hmm. And also the uh, evaluation of the first tarsal metatarsal joint with the osteotomies with distance mapping. And so with the study, we were able to kind of find that there was the, the significant changes were more sensitive with the foot and ankle offset 
with uh, software from Weight Bearing CT, mm -hmm. and the, and the 3D measurements from Weight Bearing CT had greater precision, if uh, were more efficient uh, than 2D measurements in quantifying the effect of metatarsosteotomies with hallux valgus. Mm -hmm. We're taking that data from the cadaveric specimens, and we're going to build on that to use it in the future with assessing changes in the patient when performing an osteotomy and uh, correction for hallux valgus to see mm -hmm. where are we seeing the changes that, where are the changing, where are we seeing the changes that need to be made preoperatively in regards to all three planes that where we can pay greater attention to it. And did we make those changes postoperatively? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what this, um, this research was able to be, uh, be be able to be built on, mm -hmm. and so we you know we were very fortunate to receive a uh, pilot grant from the uh, American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons tri-state region, mm -hmm. uh, and we and that's what this data helped us utilize, and also uh, hopefully build a classification system for hallux valgus based on weight bearing CT. Yeah, um, and if I if I'm correct, there's not much data right now post-operatively of hallux valgus corrections, especially in 3D, correct? Most of the studies you see will look at it from a post-preoperative perspective, but too many people haven't looked at in an official scientific setting what those corrections are actually doing to the foot. That is exactly right. We're seeing there have been more recently over the last two years uh, work out of HSS with you know, Dr. Matthew Conti, there's work out of Pittsburgh with Dr. Stephen Conti where they looked at assessment of 3D measurements. But in terms of looking at changes preoperative and postoperatively, utilizing uh, Weybearing CT and the software foot and ankle offset, that has not been published at all. And mm -hmm. so these sensitive changes are, we're able to build on the changes that we, we, we noted in our study mm -hmm. and build on that for future work. In this first cadaveric study that you did, was there a noticeable change in the foot ankle offset pre and post op? Well, we just saw significant changes with the uh, M1, M5. And okay. those who know foot and ankle offset, who kind of been reading that literature as it was coming out, will understand what that means. But we saw greater changes. We saw more significant changes and more sensitive changes with the M1, M5 than yes. we did with the standard two dimensional x-rays with the IM angle and the hallux abductus angle. Those are the common angles that we utilize with 2D measurements. Mm -hmm. uh, but with our study, the 3D measurements with the M1, M5 show greater, greater significant changes. And just for any listeners who might not be as familiar, foot ankle offset is a novel 3D biometric tool to measure foot alignment uh, that, that takes into account the, the three-dimensional shape of the foot uh, and a weight-bearing CT scan is required to draw that measurement. So it, it's moving away from a 2D methodology for looking at a number of foot conditions to a 3D methodology. Um, when you say that the, the distance, be, was it measuring distance specifically between M1 and M5? Yes, it was. And uh, that's what, you know, that's what we were able to see. But also, you know, again, the foot and ankle offset is based on the principle of the tripod index. Mm -hmm. And that's how to be able to take that concept, which uh, has been taught, you know, for years on the, on the biomechanics of the foot and ankle, and to build on that with this software and to see those changes is, you know, especially with the changes, uh, especially with the new technology that's coming down in the future, mm -hmm. I think is very, very exciting. 
And so how does how does the research that you're doing um, with Halix valgus patients, but also uh, your PSI research and diabetic foot research, how does that change? Have you noticed that you've changed your just daily approach, your everyday approach, when you're seeing patients in clinic who have a variety of conditions? Have you noticed uh, a shift in maybe your thinking or your process of analysis? Well, that's an uh, excellent question. It, it When I, again, going back to uh, our previous question that you asked in terms of getting it approved with weight-bearing CT, that's, those mm-hmm. challenges still exist. However, uh, with that being said, patients who come in for a revision or who come in for, uh, who have a more severe condition, I tend to order the weight-bearing CT. And because of, because I'm able to utilize that, I'm able to see and pay attention to where they, especially if they had a previous uh, procedure performed, what plane was often missed or underutilized mm-hmm. or undercorrected, uh, for lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. And in that way, uh, we can able to uh, be able to assess uh, the changes, the true changes that we, the true plane of deformity that we need to address. To answer your question, <laughs> uh, the bearing CT has been, it's been, this has been able to help me be more sensitive to patients who are undergoing, especially who are undergoing uh, revision cases. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I I know it's a matter of um, number of installations and economics as well. But uh, you know, given in an ideal world where those were not factors, do you believe that weight bearing CT imaging should be the standard of care? Yes, I do. Uh, I believe that it will be in the next few years. It will be the standard of care. Uh, it's, it's there are a lot of different you know technologies that come out. However, this modality has been shown to be effective, uh, and in the published reports are uh, supporting that claim. There will always be the challenges with insurance companies. However, there's no denying that this is while this is uh, you, we're seeing the published work of you know, of foot and ankle offset and its efficacy with uh, flat foot correction, different things that we are not able to see on a two-dimensional x-ray, how we're being more sensitive with weight-bearing CT findings. Uh, and then with that being said, with all this published data, we're seeing winds of change that are taking place that will be difficult to deny. Mm-hmm. And while I know that their technology is ever evolving, ever advancing, the fact of the matter is, this is not some kind of hocus pocus that somebody dreamed up, mm-hmm. and in uh, trying to lead people astray. Now, this is something that has efficacy has been utilized in, in published data and with clinical setting, it can't be denied. So, I definitely think this will be the standard of care going forward. And what's next for you personally? What are the what are the areas of research that you would like to dig into further? Is it, is it diabetic foot, further understanding the breakdown, or, or, or a totally new area completely? Uh, how do you see your research continuing to evolve? I think we will. I think for me, uh, looking at osteoarthritis of the ankle, uh, patient-specific instrumentation in that regard, mm-hmm. uh, also looking at hallux valgus from the standpoint of its impact on the, uh, the joints, going uh, proximal as well as distal mm-hmm. uh, and how correction impacts those uh, and also you know again with the diabetic foot and how you know the changes 
that weight-bearing, the sensitive changes that weight-bearing CT can be able to detect in, a, in the early stages of a charcoal deformity. A lot of times with charcoal deformity, again, which is commonly seen in diabetic patients, by the time they get to the clinical office, they are uh, full-blown and you're kind of fighting an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that battle is won, but a lot of times uh, it can be challenging. But if we can kind of get ahead of the curve to see uh, notice sensitive changes that may take place in the tarsal metatarsal joints where charcoal is impacted the most. Mm -hmm. And if we can leverage weight-bearing CT to help us detect those sensitive changes and be more preemptive, mm -hmm. I think uh, it's something that I would definitely like to investigate. Okay. So so once we have a firm understanding of, of some of those changes that are happening in charcoal, could weight-bearing CT with enough supporting evidence be potentially used is more of a proactive measure to, to monitor the progression of the deformity uh, so that intervention could be at even earlier stages. Absolutely. I definitely think that, uh, you know, with certain guidelines, of course, the benefits of, well, one of the major benefits of weight-bearing CT is the low radiation dose. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that in and of itself is, you know, uh, a plus for all patients. So with that being said, uh, we can definitely use this to detect some of the more micro changes that take place that patients or clinicians may not be A, aware of on a two-dimensional uh, x-ray or, or be not be able to uh, detect. So uh, I definitely think going forward, it will be something that will be utilized. Well, if there's anyone who happens to be listening in today and they'd like to get in touch with you, um, is there a best way that they could get in contact? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I can be reached at, uh, you know, my email address is kane1074 at uh, gmail.com, C-A-I-N-1074 at gmail.com. Uh, I'm always interested in uh, collaborations as well as learning from, uh, you know, different different people, different approaches, and things the way I can improve. Uh, like I said, the Weight-Bearing CT Society, uh, been very fortunate to meet different people there, and it has led to the collaborations that we've talked about today. So, yes, I'm, I'm always available, and uh, please do not hesitate under any circumstance to reach out. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and I hope we will have you on again in the future. Dr. Kane, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, the pleasure was all mine, and thank you very much.